welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall. This is episode 12, and we're still going through clips from the Exponential Pre-Conference of 2020. In this episode, you're going to hear Shadonke Johnson talking to us about what a person of peace is and how they use them to spread the gospel throughout the world. And towards the end of this episode, you're going to hear a story where Shinake found a person of peace and they went there to stay with this person so that they can do their work in the village. And they didn't realize it, but they're actually staying in the house of the village witch doctor. Crazy, crazy story. You want to stick around for that. So let's dive in. This is going to be Shadonke teaching. And then at the end, Bobby brings up Bill Hull and Dave Clayton to respond to the teaching and also share some of their stories of things that they're seeing in their church and ways that they are spreading the gospel where they live. So here we go. This is Shadonke Johnson's teaching with Bill Hull, Dave Clayton, and Bobby Harrington. We're going to finish up with a very interesting conversation about persons of peace. If you are listening to this recording, I want to encourage you to go to discipleship.org, and you can even email us at info at discipleship.org and ask for the handout on activating level five disciple-making churches. For all of you who are here live, I want to connect back with a conversation that we just had about systems, and that is actually what we're guiding you through in the sessions we've already had and in the sessions that are still to come is a disciple-making movement system. And uh, as the handout shows, it begins with fasting and prayer, but fasting and prayer never ends. It undergirds the whole thing. Then it moves to serving with purpose, which we just had a great conversation around serving with purpose. And I really want to um, highlight the boldness in a really good way of Jim Putman and Corey Tremble about some things happening here and about a real robust understanding of the great privilege and responsibility of sharing the gospel of God's grace. Now we want to talk about the typical way that receptive people come to understand that gospel, and it's through finding persons of peace. So, Shadonke, why don't you come back up, and and, uh, just so we finish well, I'd like to lead us in a prayer for this last session. By the way, Shudonke, again, will take about uh, 30 minutes, and then Bill Hull and Dave Clayton will come up and help us to process and apply these teachings. So let me pray. Again, God, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. We believe that you are the maker of heaven and earth, and all glory and honor belongs to you. Oh, God, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Uh, In the name of Jesus, work amongst us, lead and guide us that we would literally change hundreds of thousands, even millions of lives through these principles. In Jesus' name, amen. You You know, we started by saying that uh, one of the principles, one of the thing that we do as we get into the process of the sufficient making movement. Again, we talk about, you know, the system or the principle is one, fasting and prayer. As you fast and pray, the next thing is just not fasting and prayer and sitting down. You go out into the communities and you try to serve with purpose, know the needs of the community, and together with the community, people discover what that need is and serve the people with purpose. And also one of the things we normally pray for is for God to reveal the presence of peace to us. Um, When you read Matthew chapter 10, verse 11 to verse 14, we see what Jesus told the disciples. He said, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greetings. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. 
We also see in Luke chapter 10, verse 3 to 11, Jesus going over this again in Luke, as recorded by Dr. Luke. In Luke chapter 10, verse 3 to 17. We also see in Luke chapter 9, verse 4 to verse 5, we see also that um, Luke is also expressing the concept of the person of peace. And who is the person of peace? Who is this worthy person? And one of the way we define the person of peace is that the person of peace is somebody that God has prepared ahead of you. Somebody that God has prepared already ahead of you. When we pray and when we fast and when we serve in communities, God already goes ahead of us. He prepares somebody, you know, in that community and somebody that will touch who, and that person becomes the person of peace. And it can be anybody. It can be anyone. Both somebody that you're expecting, somebody you're not expecting, but he goes ahead. So one thing we say is that a person of peace is somebody that God is preparing ahead of you. You know, as you go out, as you obey his word, go out into communities or tribes or villages. But secondly, also, we say the person of peace is a bridge for you. It's a bridge into a particular culture. It's a bridge into a segment of the population. It's a bridge into a community, a village, or a town. A person of peace becomes a bridge for you, you know, to enter into that town. We also say a, 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 a person of peace is a local person that understands the culture, you know, understand the culture to which you have been sent. You know, he understands that particular culture, a local person that truly understands the culture. It can be somebody that understands the culture of the drug addicts. It can be somebody that under, understands the culture of the prison. It can be somebody that understands the culture of women, somebody that understands the culture of the village or a particular religion. You know, but he said somebody is an insider that really understands the culture of the person. Uh, of the community that's all the tribe that you are going to. We call that a person of peace. But we also say a person of peace is somebody that is willing to listen to your story and possibly respond to what you are saying. It's willing to listen to your message or your story and respond to that message. It's a person of peace. He's willing to listen, but also respond to the message that you brought. And we have also, based on all our discovering, it can be an old, it can be somebody you've known before, but you are not expecting to meet in that particular community. It can be somebody, a friend that you went to school with, maybe a college mate, but you are going to a particular tribe or community, and you've known him, but you are not expecting that he will be there. And all of a sudden, you go to that place, and he's there or she's there. You know, he becomes a person of peace. Now, so the person of peace is the sum total of all of what I've said. But it's important, Jesus told his disciples, as I send you to these communities, when you go to these communities, find a person of peace. The worthy person. That's what the scriptures say. And we call it a person of peace. Now, how do you find a person of peace? How are you going to find a person of peace? One way to find a person of peace is through prayer. You pray for it. Ask God to reveal the person of peace. Ask God. God, we are going to this tribe. We are going to this community. We are praying, God, that you will go ahead of us. And God, touch the heart of somebody in the community that will receive us. So we intentionally pray for that. We ask God to, to show us a person of peace. So pray for it. But another way you can find a person of peace is through service. As you render service in the community, as you serve people, we have been talking about service just now. As you serve those communities, serve those tribes, Eventually, somebody is going to, maybe out of your service, and somebody is going to respond to that service. And that person becomes your person of peace. The next way is through intentional relationship. Intentional relationship. Jesus told his disciples, as you go, greet, you know, greet the people as you go. Intentional relationship. You try to create relationship with people, you know, through whatever way you are going to create that relationship. And that also will bring the person of peace. You know, so that is some of the ways we will find the person of peace wherever we go. Prayer, service, intentional relationship. Through that, you find the person of peace. Why is the person of peace for us? Why is it so important to the process of creating a movement or starting a church? Because we believe strongly that the gospel flies best on the wings of relationship. 
The gospel flies best on the wings of relationship. It is very important. You know, it is the old method. It's the old school that Jesus used. And it's one of the best schools up to now. Relationship. It's an old school. But it's the best. You know, Jesus used that a lot. And I believe the disciples also, the early church used it a lot. As we see in the writing of Paul. And so we believe that it's very important. The, the concept of the person of peace is so important. That as you go to communities, you do these things, the person of peace will show up. Now we would normally say, once you've seen the person of peace, your work is half done. Once you've discovered the person of peace, the work is half done. Stay with that person of peace or family of peace. Stay with them. Try to create deeper relationship with that, with the family of peace or the person of peace. And through the person of peace, you begin to tell your story. Which is really God's story. As I told you just now, it's God's story. And once the person of peace buy into that story, the person of peace will invite the culture, we invite the village, we invite the people, you know, into coming to hear what you are saying. We take records of every, we have, again, as we're talking, you know, about system, we have data of every person of peace. When we started in 2005, every person of peace, their background, their religious background, their names, the tribe they are coming up. Every month, we take all the data of the persons of peace. In fact, in our reporting system, like if you went to a tribe, the first thing we are asking, who was the person of peace? What's his background? The reason is we want to see how God is moving, the pattern the Lord is using to move. And we have discovered from our own data, 47% of all the people that have received us in communities we are former cousins. 47% we are former cousins. I've told you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, the guys on the other side. 47% are cousins. So you, you know from the records that we have been able to discover that. We've also been able to discover the local chiefs in the communities, the herbalists, people who are in, who are former Witchcraft doctors have become persons of peace to receive us in communities. So we have all these records. Now, when we find the person of peace in a community, the next thing I want, what is the characteristic of the person of peace? What are some of the things you find in the person of peace? Now, I've told you who he is, how to find it, but what are those characteristics that you find? One of the things you find in a person of peace is a person that is hospitable. It's hospitable. Ready to receive you. That's one thing. The second thing you also find in the person of peace is somebody who's willing to listen to your message and to introduce you to the community. Is willing to listen to your message and also to introduce you to the community. You find that also in the person of peace. But the third thing you also find in, in the person of peace that you discover is that you find that the person of peace have an understanding of the culture. Have an understanding of the people you are going to, or the culture, whether it's a subculture, the person of peace understands. Whether it's just a segment of the population, he understands, you know, the culture of that population. The next thing you find out also, some of the characteristics you find out from the person of peace, the person of peace is ready to assist you. Is ready or willing to assist you. Is willing to assist you in what you are doing or what you want to do in that community. So that is why the, the concept of the person of peace is very important. Now, also what we want you to know about the person of peace is that for us, we describe, we say we have two types of peace. We have the peace that the world gives and we have the peace that comes from God. So we have the peace that is given by the world. Jesus said, I give you peace, not as the world gives, but as I give to you. Now, one of the things that is important that I want you to know, normally, people in communities, we have had these stories. We have people in communities who have been praying, God, please send people here who come and help us with our drinking water problem. God, please send people here that will help us, you know, with educational system. So you are an answer to the prayer of the people. When you get to these communities and find the person of peace, they have been praying for it. Now, but it's also very important when you get to these communities and as you find the person of peace in the community, it is important that 
you stay with the person of peace. You create a deeper relationship with the person of peace or family of peace. Create a deeper relationship. Don't be in a worry to begin to share this gospel. That is another problem we have in the 21st century. The moment we get to know people today, the next second, do you know anything about Jesus? When you die, will you make it to heaven? You know, we ask those questions. So people just switch up. No. I will give you an example of one person of peace that I discovered when I was flying. I was flying from Paris to San Francisco. Now, when I'm traveling, when I'm not tired, I ask God, please don't let me sit by a Christian. God, please don't allow me to sit by a Christian. Because when I sit by a Christian, all we are going to talk about is the church and everything. It, 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 discussion gets to a point and it gets boring. Let me sit by somebody that is not safe. So that, Lord, I will have an opportunity. 10 hours, 11 hours is enough time to create a lot of relationship. So I, if I'm tired, I say, Lord, you know I'm tired. Please, just put me to sleep. Now, I was flying from Paris. We are coming to San Francisco. Almost 10 hours. And I was seated by a man. The moment I saw him, by his facial look, you know, I traveled a lot. I know that this man is one of our cousins by the mark on his forehead. Because I know traditionally, they try to have that mark because part of the laws, you know, on the other side, the hadith, the law says that if you have that mark, it's going to be the light in the grave to show that you are a faithful follower of this prophet. So you need to have this mark. So when they put their head on the ground, most of them have the mark very clear. Once I saw the mark, I knew. I said, Lord, thank you very much. This time, I was seated by the window, the window seat. And so we, I waited until we started flying. I have all type of strategies that God has taught me. How to engage people in discussion. All type of strategy. And I tried almost all the strategy I know with this guy. It did not work. I did everything. In fact, one of my strategies is that intentionally I will step on your toe when I'm going outside. I pretend I'm going to use the restroom and I will step on you intentionally. That is if I tried the others and it did not work. And when I step on you intentionally, I'm going to say, I'm very sorry. I'm really going to, and then that will engage us in discussion. But I step on this guy. Even when I said sorry, he did not respond. So I went to the restroom and I said, Lord, please, you have to teach me. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. But I don't want to sit by this man for 11 hours and I'm not speaking to him. Lord, give me something. Give me a wisdom. I came back, sat down, and I'm watching him. There's no discussion going on. At this time, we've, we've almost spent like three hours in the air. I'm very tormented. And then finally, I realized he was watching a soccer match, soccer game. And this game was between Barcelona and Real Madrid. I mean, those who know soccer, this is, this is like one of the top things in La Liga, you know, in, in Spanish football. And he's watching this game on the screen. And it, it was a recorded game. And I said, Lord, thank you very much. I realized this is this man loves soccer. The way his body was moving, I know he, said he loves soccer. I said, God, thank you. That's why there are times as a church planter, you need to be versatile. So all of a sudden, I asked him, I said, please, which channel is that? For the first time, after three hours, he showed me the channel. And then the next thing I did, I started to fidget, you know, the thing as if I don't know. I was trying, struggling. I really know how to do it, but I want to... Make sure he helps me. You know, I was trying and he saw me struggling and he said, let me help you. Second discussion. He started to help me and we started to watch the match. Now I was watching the match. I'm looking at him. I want to know which team he's supporting. Then I realized he was supporting Barcelona. And I said, God, even though I'm not a supporter of Barca, but for this game, I'm going to go to the other team, Real Madrid. I'm not a supporter of Real Madrid. But today, I'm going to support Real Madrid. Just so that we'll have a heated discussion in this play. So eventually, when I looked him, anytime the Barcelona players, you know, gets the ball, the way his body moves, 
And I said, by the way you are, I said, do you support Barca? And he said, can you imagine? He said, yes. The only team in the world. And then I said, who told you Barca is the only team in the world? He said, it's the only team. I said, look, when they talk about soccer teams, you talk about Real Madrid. Real Madrid is... Now, at this time, he said, oh, what? We started to discuss. Our voices became loud. Other people are watching us. But I had my goal. And he started to say, we started to talk about the team. I know so much about Barca. I know so much about Real Madrid. They are not my soccer teams, but I know so much about them. I started to talk about Real Madrid, about the players, and about Ronaldo, and then Messi on the other side. He said, Messi is the best player in the world. I said, why do you talk about best players? You talk about Ronaldo. It's not Messi. Ronaldo goes, he looks for the ball, brings the ball, and he scores the ball. Messi, he just finishes very well. And he said, no, 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 no. And we begin to argue. And then we got to some point, I started to shift the argument. I said, is God not a great God? He's not a great God. He has given every one of us a gift. And he said, "Ah, indeed, God is a great God. So we started from his point of need. We started discussing. The summary is that by the time we landed in San Francisco, he took his card. He gave me his card. We have become friends. And he said, I live in this country that is called Chad. Anytime you visit, he said, please email me. I really love to discuss with you. And that's how our friendship started. Now we started discussing on the email. Up to this time, this man had no clue. He don't know whether I'm a pastor, nothing like that. Now we started to discuss. He started to tell me about his business. The summary is that this man became my person of peace in a country called Chad. When I started to send people there, he said, anytime you send somebody there, I'm willing to open the door for you. I will receive them. He started receiving people. Up to last year, this was his last email he sent to me in 2019. Later on, he knew that I'm a follower of Jesus. And he started telling me about his problems. And I will pray for him. Last year, he told me, he said, I'm very close. I'm coming. One day, I'll be a follower of that Jesus. He is the person of peace. He became my person of peace. And there are communities where we have gone to. We found persons of peace. Some of them, strange persons of peace. One day we went to a community and the man that received us was the witch doctor of the community. We had no clue. He received us. We got there in the evening, late at night. He received us. And he went, took us to his house and told his wife to give us food. They gave us food. They prepared a meal for us. We ate. We went to bed. And it was a delicious local uh, food. Very delicious. Early in the morning, this guy came to our door, knocked at the door, and he asked us, how did you sleep? We said, we slept very well. He said, are you sure? We said, yes. The second day, the same thing. The third day, he asked us the same question. How are you doing? We said, we are doing very well. Are you okay? We said, we are okay. And he said, who are you people? He said, I want to talk to you. I have a confession to make. But I want us to go to the elders of the village. So that we'll make the confession. And then I started to say to my guys, this man, maybe he has discovered us. He knows who we are. Maybe they are going to flog us. I have one of my disciples. He's very big. You know, he's big. Bigger than me. And I said, if they ask me who is the leader, I'm going to point to you. And you are the leader. I'm going to tell them you are the leader. So if they are going to give us a beating, you are going to take more beating than me. I said, that is sure. They will believe because I'm very small. They are going to say, I'm going to say you are the leader. We got to this place and there were other elders. And this guy, by the time we got there, he left us, went and he changed. And he had the staff. And there was something on the staff. The immediately we saw it, we knew that this was not an ordinary man we have been talking to. He carries authority. When we got to this place, he said, elders of the village, you all know me in this village. I've been the witch doctor here for more than 30 years. He said, these visitors came to our town. Before they came, the spirit has told me that we are going to have visitors and we should not allow them to stay. 
He said, we prepared a meal. When they came, I asked my wife to prepare a meal. And we poisoned the food. He said, but I've been watching these guys for three days. I was expecting them something different to happen to them. But nothing has happened. It's so we need to know who are they. Now, at this point, I knew I was going to stand up to talk. And then I stood up. And I told these people, not by telling them we are Christians, and I told them in a story format who we are and who we believe in. And then I sat down. Then he stood up again and he said, I don't know which God they are serving, but this God must be a powerful God. And I want to know more about this God. That's how this man, being the man of peace, that's how we became friends and we told him the whole story. And he came to know the story. And then he said, I want to be like this man you are talking about, which is Jesus. He became a follower. He was baptized openly, openly in the community. Today, as I speak to you, this man is baptized. He has seven wives, 16 children. He's a follower of Jesus. Become a follower of Jesus. A few years ago, he came to visit my house, and I gave him a food to eat. Why he was in the middle of the food, and I said, I poisoned the food. And he turned to me and said, that same God that protected you, that same God will protect me. So the person of peace can be anyone. There are a lot of examples of person of peace in the Bible. The woman of the world was a person of peace. She went out and told everyone, come and see. Zacchaeus was a person of peace in that community. Zacchaeus was a person of peace. We have so many examples of person of peace in the Bible. So many examples of person of peace in the Bible that we need to look for. Lydia was a person of peace. She had the gospel. She had Peter, I mean Paul, as they went to the community. She was a person of peace in that community. The jailer. You know, the, the, the Philippian jailer is also a person of peace. There's so many examples of persons of peace in the Bible that we can find. So many examples. So the concept of the person of peace is all over the Bible. And we have done this from town to town, community to community. Some of the persons of peace in some communities have been drug addicts. Some of them have been, for example, one day we were praying. We had a half whole night prayer. I told you a whole night prayer starts from 10 to 6 in the morning. And while we are praying, just by 3 in the morning, I started having this urge. Go back to the house and check. My house was very close to where we started, our, where we have our prayer gathering. Go back and check. I'm just feeling this urge. I see somebody's telling me, go back and check. Where I had locked the door and my keys were in my pocket. And I'm saying, I don't need to go and check. I have my keys. This is something that is happening within me. All of a sudden, I decided to go and check. My doors were widely open. Widely open. Back home, people can come into this place without, you know, they have keys, master keys. My door was widely open. And I saw this giant figure. He has already packed some bags. And I saw this figure and I asked, who is that? And the guy responded, it's me. And I said, who are you? He said, it's me. He was talking with such a confidence. Then I realized he was a thief. Well, one thing I want you to know, cultures differ. When you catch thieves here, you take them to the police or you call the police. Well, there, when we catch thieves in some of those cultures in West Africa, you know, people will give the thief some spanking. They spank the thief and they release the thief to go. We don't normally call the police because it's time wasting. So they just give that thief enough spanking and then they release the thief to go. <laughs> so, so when we caught him, normally we'll use the word thief. And once you say that, that's enough. Everybody will come. We caught him and then everybody will say, let's spank him. Let's spank him and let him go. And I said to the guys, no, you're not going to spank him. We are already doing a whole night prayer, so we're not spanking. Let's take him to the church and let's pray together. Tonight, he's going to spend time praying. So we took this thief to the church and I told him, sit down. He sat down and we closed the door so that he will not run away while we are praying. 
And he was watching us. We were praying. I had some young guys who were very frisky. These young guys will come around the thief when I'm not watching. And they will give him a little bit of kick. And they tell him, you wait till morning. You will know what we will do with you. We will spank you. When I realized that they were going to spank him, I took him and I brought him to my room. I locked the door and I said, sit down there. He sat down. When we finished the prayer, people said, where is this guy? I said, I've released him. He's gone. But what I did was I fixed a good breakfast for him. I made a good breakfast for him. He ate and I asked him about his life. He told me and I said, "Can I, let's go to your house. He, I, I accompanied him to his house. He was staying two streets away from my own streets. I met his wife and his two children. He introduced me to his wife. He said, this is my friend. We did not explain where we met. What is important? Friends are friends. And I sat down. But the level of poverty I saw in that home touched my heart. I took money out of my pocket and I gave to the wife to buy a bag of rice. And I gave her money to buy some condiments. This guy became the person of peace for me. The summary is that this guy got saved. He was baptized. And this guy opened doors. He opened doors to so many people. Today he has been trained. He is not only, he has a big church, about 500 people, but he has planted so many other churches. And he opened doors, network of doors, to people of his own background that have been doing, that are also thieves, that have been stealing. He became a person of peace for us. And today we have several of them that are saved, baptized, saved, and also planting churches. So the person of peace is somebody that God prepares ahead of you. It can be anywhere. You can find the person of peace anywhere. But we normally say, no person of peace, no church planting. If we cannot discover a person of peace in the community, we don't start any work there. We go to another community, we continue to pray for that community until the Lord reveals a person of peace. And today, some of the person of peace are the chiefs in the communities. Some of them are the leaders in the communities. But through them, doors have been opened for us in that community, in that subculture, in the segments of population. And so many disciples made, but so many churches planted through this person of peace. My encouragement to all of us is that I know we have a culture. Everybody is, is a, this is a culture where everybody's just focused on themselves. You know, many times we don't even communicate to the next person, but it is very important. I have found person of peace in Walmart here in America, in places. I've found persons of peace there. Because I pray about it, I'm very intentional about it. I've found persons of peace in while waiting for the dentist. Found persons of peace. Some of those persons of peace have become a blessing to what we are doing today. So the important thing about a person of peace is that you can find a person of peace anywhere. If you pray about it, if you are intentional about it, you can find a person of peace. And once you find a person of peace, that person of peace can open the culture, can open their own oikos. And out of that oikos, many lives will be touched, many people will be baptized, disciples made, but also it can lead to so many churches planted. That is the reason why we use a person of peace as one of the concepts that we do in planting churches and multiplying disciples. Thank you very much. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple-making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple-makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. I'd like to ask uh, Bill Hall and Dave Clayton if you'll be coming up. 
Um, I don't know if you caught this, but uh, Shadonke said something that's very interesting, that when I first heard of it, it really caught my attention. They will fast and pray uh, over a village, for example, that they may want to reach, or a part of a community in a city. They'll fast and pray. They'll serve in the community. If they don't find a person of peace, they won't move in and try to reach that community many times. So obviously this strategy is a a very important part of their disciple-making movement. Now, earlier we had the privilege, you all got to to hear a little bit about Bill Hull and his background. Uh, I'd like to introduce Dave Clayton to you, to to everybody's left, my right. Um, Dave Clayton... Uh, is a friend of Exponential. He's a friend of discipleship.org. He, along with Shidonke and Bill, have spoken at our national gatherings. Um, one of the things that uh, Dave spent a lot of time with that we're going to have an opportunity to talk more about tomorrow is the whole fasting and prayer and uh, something called the Awaken, Awaken Nashville and Awaken Movement. But Dave uh, is also uh, very connected and planted a church a little over 10 years ago in Nashville called Ethos Church, and God's granted a lot of favor to Dave uh, with connections with people, the places for them to meet, and things like that. So I look forward to this opportunity to interact around the whole concept of a person of peace. But Bill, I want to start with you, and uh, just just give us some perspective from your point of view as you sat and listened to Shidonke. Well, once again... Uh, my one, my first question, Jonathan, to you is, uh, are all your disciples like you? They're all like Jesus. <laughs> all like Jesus. Good answer. You know, what I was thinking, though, is that uh, the thing that struck me, and I probably just struck you as well, is uh, his motivation. That his motivation overcomes his tiredness or or his reluctance. I don't know what you did before you were a Christian, uh, but you probably could have sold me something. <laughs> uh, and, and so I, I'm thinking about temperament, I'm thinking about motivation, but uh, I, there, there's a theme here that's rumbling around down deep, and it has to do with uh, sustainability of motivation and passion that I think comes from the prayer but there's something motivating in the beginning just to pray, to persistently pray. And then to, and in another part of this, I think, is how there have been many prayer movements in the United States that I mentioned earlier today. But the difference is we have a, uh, two things of synced here, uh, because those people wanted Let's say, let's go back to the first great awakening, the second great awakening. Let's go back to, uh, people gathering in large buildings and, and early morning prayer meetings in New York City and these stories will be told over and over again. And they are just not going to happen that way again. No. But the thing is that this, this is where prayer and fasting have met disciple-making on the road of obedience. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good They've met right there. Let me say it again. Prayer and fasting have met on the road of Have met disciple-making principles on the road to obedience. That's good. That's good. Those two together. And that's what makes this unique. This is what makes this a movement. And embedded in all this is the passion and the motivation. I mean, I would think that when I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about my traveling, I'm thinking about 10-hour flights, uh, I'm really interested in what the movies are, uh, what are they going to serve, uh, these kinds of very com- human comfort things, uh, what's the leg room, uh, which is a big deal for me. And so uh, I think for Americans to, to just li- get it, just spend those few minutes listening to you, is this this a very big barrier of inconvenience and and living for others and and just readjusting your whole way of thinking and how you spend your time? I think that these are huge issues 
And, and I think that that's what we're really, if you talk about America, what we're up against. But I'm so grateful that he is such an inspirational example of the kinds of things that we desperately need. That's very good. Dave, Dave, why don't you jump in? You know, just a little bit of context over the years. Um, my wife and I and our team have been really passionate about um, not just making disciples, but discipling church planters that make disciples. And, and this person of peace concept has been really important to us in our own journey. But it was three or four years ago, um, we had this, this cohort of leaders that we were discipling and working with. And we didn't do this on purpose, but we noticed that within that group of future church planters, there were some that were planting in a pre-Christian context. So parts of the world where there was not a great Christian witness yet, at least not in the majority, right? And then there were some people that were planting in a post-Christian context, uh, some countries in Europe, where Christianity had made a really big mark and now it's weighing. And then there were those that were planting churches in America. And, and what we found was that for those that were in the pre-Christian or the post-Christian world, they understood the need for the person of peace. But for those that were in an American context, there was this sort of like, okay, why do we need it? And, and what clicked with me, I never thought about this before, was that, you know, for, for Americans, even if we think about disciple making and church planting, there is still this undercurrent of belief that says the outsider has to figure out how to enter into our world. But when you're in a post-Christian or pre-Christian context, you know that you're the outsider and you have to figure out how to enter into their world. And when you're the outsider, you've got to find the gatekeeper to help you enter into the world. And, and maybe that's too broad of a statement, but you know, um, as we think about this, this idea of person of peace, especially as the culture around us here in the States continues to shift, um, this is not just going to be a nice thing that you talk about at conferences. It's going to become a necessary thing for gospel effectiveness. Um, because we'll realize Okay, we are trying to enter into a culture uh, and subcultures that have not yet um, received the gospel in, in, in fullness, and, and so that's that's been you know as you were talking and, and as as you were talking about going to village to village to village, and honestly, there's part of me that's jealous. I'm like, what an amazing story, um, but not really jealous because you know that takes such courage, you know, but. But just realizing there's all of these places where if we would have the courage to enter into the culture, it, it might not look like entering into a village, but it's entering into subsets of culture. It's entering into places where Christianity is not flourishing or welcomed openly. And I think a lot of times when there's this struggle to find a person of peace, it ultimately rests on the fact that a lot of pastors aren't willing to find a person of unpeace. You find a person of peace when you go to a place where you don't expect to find peace. When you go to that place where you don't expect to find peace, and then you're like, whoa, a person of peace, right? Mm -hmm. And and so I think this, does that make sense? Like when, when you enter into places where you don't expect to be received and you're received, and all of a sudden the, the lights on the dashboard go off and you go, whoa, this is a person that God's prepared. And so I think for us, as we think about how do we disciple our church planters, it's how do we send them into places of unpeace by the power of the Spirit, pay, you know, pave the way in prayer, but how do we do that so they can find a person of peace? And um, so that's kind of what was, I have no, a lot of stuff going on in my I mind. I think that's really helpful. As uh, you were talking. It's so good. let's talk about it, Shadonke, because uh, David visions, and I think rightfully so, you're trying to reach a community, maybe it's a hard to reach community. And uh, it is hard for many of our people to go in there. Um, if I'm understanding what you're saying right, typically if you don't find a person of peace, you don't stay and work in that community. Yeah. Talk to us about that yeah. and how you came to that. I think one of the, you know, Jesus made it very clear to his disciples, if you can't find a water person here, move to another place. I think one of the problems we have is that we, again, we already have, Many times we make up our minds about tribes, about people. We plan our strategies and everything we are going to use. And so, honestly, there are times we just go, we just believe in ourselves and we go and we're out there doing it on our own. So we don't even see the signs of rejection. We don't see it. Even if we don't, we see it, we want to force it down the throats of the people. I'm here as you go back with the results. 
I should go back with, an, with, with a statistics, with a, something to say I was here and 10,000 people got saved. That's the mindset we come in with and that's the mindset we want to live with. I think it's really, really, it's good that we go back and find out. If people are not willing to receive me in this community for now, I'm not going to force the gospel down the truth. Because this is not about me. It's really about him. He sent me. He asked me to do this. If I'm not received here for his sake, all over the scripture he was telling disciples, they're not rejecting me. They're really rejecting him. So I should not begin to fight with them because of that. I should, there are more communities to go to. Why we still keep on praying for that community? I will tell you literally, we pray for these villages by name. For these tribes by name. There are times we know the authorities. The same with nations. I will tell you. You know, I'm, I'm saying this because, let me use America. We prayed for your nation using your flag. Most of the, my intercessors, more than 10,000 of them, they have never traveled. They don't know America. They don't know anything. But we use the flag as a symbol and we pray for the nation. More than 10 years ago, we started praying for what is happening today. We are praying to God. One of the things I made, I said, God, I want to see movements happen in America before you take me from this planet. I know it's doable. The reason, some of you seated here, your, your grandparents, your fathers went to Africa. They died there. They bled and they died. Some of them, we have their graves just to bring this gospel. We are standing on the shoulders of those people and wanting to make sure that their grandchildren some of them that have gone away from the gospel come back to where their fathers are. This is our personal conviction. You know, so, so many people told me, Shudanke, forget about this. You are wasting time. It will never happen. You will never see this happen in America. And I said, one thing I know about God, he's not a respecter of person. He has done it in nations that are difficult. He can do it anywhere. That's why we call him, I normally say he's the impossibility specialist. What man cannot do, he can do. So the problem of the person of peace is that if you go to a place, it is not offensive what you're finding. It's not, you're not going to fight with anyone. It's very simple. We find a person of peace. We start with that person. We start with that family. We create relationship, deeper relationship. Out of that, we begin to tell a story. Many of the communities we've gone to, we only find one family as a family of peace. Just one. It will surprise you. Out of that one family, how many disciples have been made? How many churches have been planted? Just that one family that decided to obey. And they started to introduce us to the rest of the community, bring their own people. As my brother was saying, one thing that's important is that, you know, honestly, we come outside the culture with an expectation. We know more than those people. We are going to fix their problem they have. We have the answer to the problem. So we go in with such a pride and arrogance. And, and so as a result, we really miss the things that are, even in my own culture, what I teach my disciples, we are outsiders to the tribes that are not our own tribe. We count ourselves as outsiders. And so we go in there believing that they have something we can learn from, something we can listen to, and something that God can use them to do. So today, I will tell you, we work among 56 tribes. Out of those 56 tribes, we have 25 movements. And we define movements as 100 churches, four generations deep. 100 churches, four generations deep. And we have 26 movements, 25 movements among the 56 tribes we are working with. Some of these tribes are very difficult. It's on the record. It's on mission records. Very tough. But today, the Lord has just broken that resistance. Starting with just one family of peace among the whole tribe. And over the years, God has used it to bring so many other people to the saving knowledge of Jesus. It is not something we have to be in a hurry. Oh, I'm here. Let it happen. No. It's a seed you plant. And you gradually, you begin to wait on the Lord to water it. Gradually. It's a gradual process. So, Bill, can you jump in here and give us a little bit of context in the last... 50, 60, 70 years. In, <laughs> in, uh, not, you have yes. not, no, 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 I've got to restate that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Every time we talk, it's uh, getting longer. Yeah, I like <laughs> You have studied 
what other people have written. And then, of course, uh, uh, in the 70s, you had some experiences with Campus Crusade and mm-hmm. Athletes in Action. Right. So talk to us a little bit more just about historical context for this idea of persons of peace and this kind of thing. Is this a common thing that in the 50s and 60s people would talk about? No. No, it, it wasn't understood that way, and I still think in America it's not. In other words, what I'm saying is it was about sharing your faith and having a gospel tool, the four laws, the bridge, uh, hopping through Hebrews, roaming through Romans, you know, whatever. Um, and so it was a formula. And that really dominated up through the 70s and into the 80s, probably into the early 90s. And then that started breaking down. Now, the reasons they're breaking down is there's a, there's a multi-layered explanation, but the thing is that people have just taken what, you know, trying to get people to witness in your church is a very difficult thing that pastors would talk about. But what they were discussing was essentially, you take this tool, you go find somebody who will listen to you, and you go through the tool, and one in about every, who knows, 50 or 60 people you talk to will pray a prayer. And then, uh, but then, so we switched over our terminology probably seven, eight years ago to the people, person of peace. And what struck me here today was how he was explaining the details of he had a thorough explanation of what a person of peace is. He had a thorough explanation of how you find people of peace. And then, essentially, what happens after you find them and developing them. Like three phases of it. Now, the way it's coming across in America right now is a, pre- a person of peace is, you know, Luke 10. Uh, we've preached on it. Uh, and so what you find a person who's nice to you and who uh, will let you stay at their house. And isn't that cool? And I'm, I have a friend now. But what he said, in addition to this, was uh, to me was profound, was um, that you they're willing to listen to what you say and they're willing to assist you in your mission. Yeah. I mean, that's way far down the line. It's a much broader concept than what we've been uh, historically how we're connecting with people and culture. And I think what David said about pre and post, too, that's very important in this. Yeah, I think so, too. Shadonke, uh, talk about the fact that sometimes persons of peace never become followers of Jesus. Yeah, we, uh, some of the persons of peace never become, not yet, some of them will not become followers of Jesus. But one thing is important, they will introduce you to the culture, mm. introduce you to people. If we have persons of peace, like when we have our gathering, we introduce them, we still celebrate them. They never came to Jesus. But they will show you hundreds of people that came to Jesus because of them. And we're happy with that. We're still praying. For example, there's a case of a guy who, um, he really hated anything they call Christian. He hated. And so one day we went to his house, we found the, the, her sister was the first woman of peace. Invited to his house, we go and we sit in them telling stories. This man took a whole bucket of water. We have this buckets in our own, it's, it's, we call it 35 centimeter buckets, full of water. And I really saw the man coming towards me. But in my mind, I thought, how could this guy, we are living, is in a living room. So I'm thinking maybe this, how should this man be coming water while we are talking? But it never occurred the water was for me. He brought this 35 centimeter bucket water and poured it all on me because we are sharing the story of the gospel with her, her sister, elder sister, who was now a woman of peace. He was annoyed for that. He turned all the 35 centimeter buckets. I'm telling you, he baptized me afresh. <laughs> well, normally for other people, they'll argue, but I've lived this world, I'm, I'm leaving this. So I just smiled. Got up. Everybody in the family was apologizing. You know, I said, it's okay, it's fine. He was furious. I went back home and I changed and I came back. Now, it will interest you. Every member of that family is a follower of Jesus today. 
Not only them, but a lot of people in the community. This guy is still not a follower, but he's my best friend. Whenever we meet, he will tell me, I'm coming. Keep on praying for me, I'm coming. That's his right word. And I will tell him, I'm not going to die until you come. Because that baptism that you gave me, I'm waiting to baptize you also. <laughs> so we have that joke among us. But the entire family is now their followers. And now he's not resistant any longer. He helps them. He opens, he assists them. So the concept of the person of peace, some of them will not be saved, but they will introduce you to the community. And people will get saved. And I want to say this. I have seen the most people that I never expected in my life become persons of peace. From the toughest drunkard in the community to the most, the, the heaviest drug addicts. I mean, the list goes on. We have records of them that have become persons of peace. You won't hear the story. There was a guy who was fighting in our own context in Sierra Leone. He also fought naked like another guy was in Liberia during the war. He will fight completely naked. I mean, that's how he fights when he goes out to fight. And our soldiers and other rebels, he was one of the civil militias. When they see him, they will run. Because he <laughs> fights naked. I'm telling you. They will shoot him. And so a lot of people, it became a story. Everybody was afraid of him. This guy, one of our church planters, who is now one of our missionaries in charge, became a friend to him. And he started telling the story of Jesus. This guy had the story. He asked that the story be repeated to him three times. They repeated, repeated the story three times. He became the person of peace. The summary is that this guy got saved, was baptized. Today, he's one of our leading church planters. But as a person of peace, he has been able to open so many communities because people respected him for who he was. So what we are saying is that the most unlikely people become persons of peace. But some of them might not end up becoming followers of Jesus. That's true. So as Shinonke and uh, David are talking about this, do you notice there's not a dependence on a Sunday morning service where you're inviting people to a Sunday morning service where all this is happening? This is happening, and, and just to quote Shinonke, uh, the, go the gospel travels best on the wings of relationship. It's another way of saying one of the things we try to emphasize every time, <clears throat> that it's life-on-life -life relational disciple-making. So, Dave, I want to ask you if you can talk to us. If, if I'm here and I'm thinking, how do I apply this in my context? You're thinking like church planters you've worked with or in Nashville, some of the doors that you've seen God open with persons of peace. What are some practical things you could tell some of the folks here to be thinking about and looking for? Yeah, you know, for, for us, really being able to, whether it's you as a leader or with your people, identify those areas in the community that you don't seem to have much access yet um, and ask God, okay, how how would you send this into those places for the sake of uh, the kingdom of God? So, for example, there's some young guys that run with this and they were seeing this kind of um, subculture within our city of high school kids that were um, really getting tangled up in drugs and alcohol and throwing these huge parties. And they felt called by God. They were like, hey, that's a, that's a group of people in our city who aren't engaged with what God's doing, at least from our perspective. How do we enter into their world, right? So they, they recognized a need in the community. And so then their first question was, how do we enter into that world? And so they started asking God to open a door for them to enter into that world. And they found two young guys, high school guys, that were making money off of throwing these parties. And they said, God, would you help us connect with those guys? And so I remember sitting down with them. I said, what's your plan for connecting those guys? They said, we're going to go drive through their neighborhood until we find their house. I thought, okay, that's, that's, a, that's a way. And then I, I thought, um, what's next? And they said, we haven't thought through what's next, but we're going to find them first. And so fast forward just a bit. They drive through their neighborhood. They find where one of these guys lives. They pray about it, and they show up at their house, and they said, hey, we're in the events business as well, <laughs> which I thought was a really creative way of saying that. Sounds like Shadonke. <laughs> they said, we're in the events business as well, and uh, this high school kid was very intrigued by that. I said, well, tell me about it. And they, they said, hey, what if we could get you a 1000 extra dollars at your next party and 50 extra high school kids to come? 
would would you be willing to let us help you do that? And the guy was like, absolutely. I mean, he's a young capitalist. He just wants to make money. He's like, for sure. He said, what's the catch? He said, well, if, if I get you a thousand extra dollars and 50 extra people, you've got to give me five minutes at the end of the party to get on the microphone and tell everybody the story of Jesus. And, uh, I mean, I don't know what you would expect to happen next, but, um, I thought that would have been the closed door. The guy said, well, by the end of the party, everybody's going to be so drunk and high. I don't care what you share. <laughs> so, so he, so he said, yeah, come on and do that. Well, um, they said, what if we could get you a free place to have the party? Cause we have 20 minutes. Yeah, so if you get us a free place to have the party, a thousand extra dollars, extra people, you have 20 minutes. So long story short, he goes out and he gets all of these young college students and high school students that he'd been discipling, walking in the ways of Jesus. They had recognized this need. They had now found their person of peace. So they show up at this party. Thousand high school kids at this party. And at the end of it, he stands up and he begins to just tell the story of Jesus. And at first, everybody's mocking him and doing it. But he just kept talking about because they had prayed, they thought God was doing this. They had 400 kids from that party give their lives to Jesus. Wow. Unbelievable. 200 of them, 200 of those kids entered into a discipling relationship. So here was this community that the church didn't have a lot of access to. A couple of young guys saw the need. They found the person that opened the door. Those two guys that opened the door, they still have not yet given their lives to Jesus. They've become good friends, but they've opened the door into this space that these guys that run with us never would have had access to. Mm-hmm. And so it happens like that. Um, we've seen it happen. You know, um, I have a friend who's a creative, and he, he, he looks at the creative community in Nashville, and he says there's a big gap between a lot of creatives and what's happening in the church. And so he started raising up his creative team, saying, hey, let's find people of peace in the creative industry, photographers, musicians, and let's enter into those spaces in a way that's redemptive. And so, you know, I think for us, practically, how do you recognize the pockets of your community? I think a lot of times we're so Sunday morning focused that we forget there's large pockets of our community that the church has not yet uh, infiltrated. And so, you know, if you ever want to find those pockets, we do a thing four or five times a year where we'll cancel our Sunday services. And we tell our people to go out and go eat brunch. Throw, throw a party in your neighborhood. There's whole other stories behind that. But what we're doing is we're trying to help them identify the places that have not yet been infiltrated. And then once you identify them, going, who are the gatekeepers of those places? And how do we pray that God will give us an end? So that's, that's really good. Some mm-hmm. simple ways that's, that we're trying to do that. That's really practical stuff. Bill, I'm going to give you the last word here in just a minute. Uh, our time is done for today. Um, I really appreciate Shadonke, you coming all the way from Sierra Leone. By the way, he hasn't slept for a couple of days uh, because of some problems <laughs> with the flights. So we really appreciate him being here. Appreciate Renew.org for helping him to get here you know, financially and things like that. Appreciate Bill and Dave. Bill, we'll give him the last words to you, and if you'd lead us in a closing prayer afterwards. Very good. Well, I'm I'm just thankful that um, we could spend this time thus far, and beginning some things are beginning to shape, take shape in my mind, and I'm sure in yours and your spirit. And so let's pray that continues tomorrow and builds, and that God will give us something when we leave here that we can actually do, something that we can become as well. Father, thank you so much for loving us. And may, Lord, we have in our heart what is on your heart, the salvation of the world, that this is what you care about, this is what you've told us to do. And may that be our motivation to please you and to honor you in this. And remember that this is uh, your commission. It is your command. It is your work. Uh, There is no confusion. May we be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just want to remind everyone, November 4th and 5th coming up in 2021, Discipleship.org is hosting another National Disciple Making Forum in Nashville, Tennessee. 
So you want to go over to discipleship.org and purchase your tickets now because you can look forward to hearing speakers like Dave Clayton, who we were just listening to in this episode, or Jim Putnam and Jason Hauser and Shinonke, and of course, our very own Bobby Harrington. It's going to be an amazing time, and I'm looking forward to it because I get to lead you in worship, and there's just nothing more powerful than leading a room full of disciple makers from all over the world in worship, and I just can't wait. So go sign up today and buy your tickets, and I look forward to seeing you guys there. And thanks again for listening to this podcast. Have a great day.